you can't be what you can't see. And so it's a matter of publicizing and marketing and getting the word out and, and letting nurses know you belong at this table, you are part of this conversation and we need you. Hello everyone, I'm Angela Rosa Donato, And I'm Marian Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a Penn Nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Amplify Nursing features nurses who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm. Beginning his journey in molecular biology, Joshua Littlejohn was driven to nursing, a profession that fully encompasses his modus operandi, empathy. He found purpose in oncology nursing, where he was able to take care of patients and their families for extended periods of time. He eventually transitioned into a healthcare technology company, combining his home care experience and enthusiasm for innovation. Today, we talked to Joshua about his journey into nursing, bringing nurses into hackathons, and his passion for seeing nurses as innovators. Joshua, thank you so much for talking with us today. I am super excited to have this conversation with you. I feel like you and I run sort of parallel interests. Uh, We both went to UPenn Nursing and got dual degrees in nursing and public health. We're both interested in innovation, technology, hackathons. So I am excited to talk to you about how you got into these areas because I get asked this question all the time. It's super fantastic, actually, to be talking to you as well, Mary, because I, for the longest time, have felt the same thing, um, that I, I, I know that we, we are kindred spirits out there in the nursing and innovation world. Um, and, and yes, I, too, get asked that question, uh, mostly around, you know, how, how did you go from a clinical setting, clearly, you know, being at the bedside and being a nurse, um, all the way to this other seemingly um, disparate, you know, field or, or, or whatnot. And um, I, I feel like um, I, I stumbled into this a little bit. Part of it had to do with my MPH training, um, which I know that you're familiar with Dr. Rosie Frasso as well from the MPH program. Um, she was formerly at Penn and she really, she was my advisor and she um, ran a qualitative methods course um, that I was very interested in. So that was sort of the very beginning. And the reason I say that is because that introduction to qualitative methods um, really began this entire um, sort of uh, my, my delving into the, the world of an, an empathy first, problem first approach to um, to exploring different problems that people have, right? So I definitely want to talk to you more about how this qualitative approach led you to where you're at now. I'm currently in the PhD program part-time and in a qualitative class and loving the parallels between human-centered design and qualitative research. But I want to start off um, backtracking a little and understanding how you came into nursing because you were a bedside nurse for a while and, and what what that practice was like. Yeah, that's all. That's also um, a great starting point. I am actually a second degree um, career nurse. So essentially that what that means is I, I have a first degree in something completely unrelated, which is molecular microbiology and Spanish. Um, did that for a little while, worked in a few labs and whatnot. And when I was in New Orleans, one of my colleagues um, 
discovered a, an accelerated uh, ASN program down that way. And so I quit my job. Um, I took all of my savings, put it into this program. And 10 months later of, of intense work and clinical rotations, um, I came out with an ASN slash, uh, well, the, the, the degree is an ASN, the qualification is an RN, registered nurse, same as everybody else. Um, and then from there, I did a bridge program to a BSN, and then subsequently an MSN at Penn, as, um, as you mentioned. And so uh, let's, let's step back even further then. Why microbiology in Spanish? I love, uh. <laughs> I'm fascinated with folks who come into nursing from previous degrees and how those different lenses um, contribute to their practice as a nurse now. Sure, sure. Um, so that's a continuation really of high school. So from in, in high school, actually, my final two years of high school were my first two years of college. And the reason I say that is because I did an international baccalaureate um, degree in high school. It's a high school diploma that you come out, but it's an international qualification. And if you play your cards right and you pass all of the exams as well as advanced placement exams, you actually get college credit. So my, um, my choice of, of degree and minor in um, undergraduate is really driven by that experience. So I was a biology um, geek in high school and just sort of continued on with that. I had had eight years of Spanish training prior to undergrad, so I figured I would keep up with that as well. And, um, and, and you know, it's, it's funny because if I had known more about nursing and I had known more about the profession and the opportunities and what exactly it meant, I would have gone, gone into nursing, um, not medicine, I would have gone in, you know, because I, I could have I could have been pre-med. I could have gone to medical school, but that really wasn't the path for me. Um, but as I said, if I had known more about nursing, um, you know, I would have done it sort of I, I would have fast forwarded straight to that track. Um, it, it's actually great that, you know, my microbiology background um, did sort of dovetail with nursing. As you as you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, significant components of nursing that aren't just about um, medication inter interactions and, and um, you know, providing comfort to the patient. There's a lot of technical uh, background to it as well. So the degrees actually worked out very well. They complement each other. Um, and I, I eventually made it to nursing anyway, so I can't really complain, right? So explain how you first realized that nursing was the degree that you wanted to to get into next? Yeah, so I, I think one of the buzzwords um, that, that of, of this conversation are going to be empathy. Um, and really, it's not just, a, not just a buzzword for me. It is sort of a modus operandi that uh, has been around for a long time, but I haven't necessarily had a, a word or uh, you know, a name for this. Um, which sounds a little strange because empathy in itself is not a terribly complex concept, right? Um, but how did I really come to nursing? It, it's, you know, I started caregiving at 12 years old, right? Um, through one reason or another there, you know, I was put in charge of essentially a gaggle of children, <laughs> um, you know, along with my mother. Um, and, you know, I was the oldest of the bunch. And, and so I was, herding around children, you know, playtime and everything. Uh, but I also had 
a nephew who was autistic, um, had medications. He was also epileptic. And so, you know, starting at 12, there's this whole process or part of my life where I'm, you know, looking, looking out for seizures, you know, I can tell you as a 14 year old, what the difference between petite mall and grand mall seizures are, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and I'm looking for signs and symptoms of these things, reporting them to my mother, you know, keeping track of medication time. Oh, it's, you know, about that time in the afternoon, um, you know, Richard needs his, his medication sort of thing. Um, and that just sort of translated into the rest of my life in various other ways, but really, <clears throat> you know, this, role one of a caregiver but um seeing things from other people's perspectives is 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 really um something that's been with me for a while so it was just sort of a natural transition if that makes any sense yeah, for sure and um, you know we all know that one one main component of nursing is really that empathetic uh, approach and that's why i think it goes really nicely hand in hand with innovation mm-hmm so then you went back, got your nursing degree, and worked clinically for a while. Um, where did you do your clinical practice? Yeah, sure. So I started out um, nursing at Tulane University Medical Center. Um, started out really on the med surge floor, but quickly found that I liked floating around the hospital. So I, um, aside, from, aside from two areas, which are very important, um, the emergency room and the ICU. Uh, I am not uh, like uh, an adrenaline junkie, and I don't see that. I don't say that derogatorily. There are plenty of people, nurses, who that is their jam, and that is fantastic. That is just not me. Uh, I know that I'm not great under pressure in in those environments. Um, my bread and butter is, you know, med surge, bone marrow transplant. I spent the majority of my time at bone marrow transplant where, you know, your patients come in and they're basically with you for six plus months. Like they live in the hospital. I've gotten to know not just my patients, but my patients' families who also tend to stay in the hospital long periods of time. Um, those, those areas, outpatient infusion, it was really nice to see how a bone marrow transplant patient that you've literally seen for the majority of a year, sometimes even longer than that, eventually make it out of the hospital and start, um, you know, receiving treatments on an outpatient basis, whole different world. Um, and then eventually after, so, so I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Um, that was my, that was where I started things, came up to Pen Pennsylvania, did my master's degrees, and then went back to the bedside in home care here in Philadelphia. And I think that that is really what I've fallen in love with is, is home care and care outside the hospital actually. And so I think that's probably a good segue into what you're doing now with Envoy at Home. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I would love to talk about that. <laughs> so <laughs> Envoy at Home is um, a healthcare startup here in Philadelphia that allows remote caregivers of elderly individuals to manage resources and plan care more efficiently and cost-effectively by providing them with this actionable data-driven insights from home using motion sensors and proprietary algorithms. That's a lot to unpack, um, so I'm going to take it a little bit at a time, right? We uh, essentially use, again, motion sensors, like the kind that turn on lights in many buildings these days, and propri proprietary algorithms to take data from a home, not from a patient, that's important, from a home, not a patient, and then translate that into um, data-driven insights. 
So behavioral insights that tell us what a patient is doing, when they're doing it, and then using nursing, uh, again, really, this is a nurse-driven company, right? My, I'm sort of head of product and, and really driving the analytical piece of this, um, trying, to connect, trying to connect those, those data insights into clinically relevant information. Um, I can give you an example. So, you know, by monitoring this space, the home, we know that Ms. Smith hasn't been out the house. Uh, well, right now, this is not unusual because we're in times of COVID. But under non-COVID times, if Ms. Smith had not left the, the home in, let's say, you know, 14 days, maybe even less than that, uh, you could say that she, if she does not use any other forms of um, electronic communication, that she's at risk for social isolation. And we know that social isolation has many sequelae that are, are important to elderly individuals um, and you know healthy aging in place, right? So again, somebody who doesn't leave the home is at risk for social isolation. Are they also at risk for greater uh, um, depression? Um, so you know, weaving in some of that clinical knowledge and, and looking at the data with a clinical lens, um, but not just a clinical lens, a nursing lens. So was it the home care aspect that led you to that company or was it the integration of technology and informatics or both? It was both of those. Um, so I came across Envoy at Home when I was working with the, um, the Penn Center for Innovation, which is our tech licensing office here at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, through that program, they have a site-based program uh, that is part of a national uh, National Science Foundation funded program called um, SBIR, uh, sorry, um, ICOR rather. It's called ICOR and this site-based program invites community companies, they don't have to be affiliated with Penn necessarily, to take place in, in what is essentially is customer discovery. Um, and, you know, answering the question, are, does your product fundamentally answer a market problem? So can you identify a customer with a need that your product actually solves in a way that is amenable to that that group. Um, and through this program, uh, you know, Envoy at Home, here it was, presented itself, gave a very brief description. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Um, you know, it's got home care, it's got tech, it's a, it's a startup, so it's in the innovation realm. Um, and from there, I just sort of kept on with it. And I've been with the company over three years now. Yeah. Were you looking to get into a healthcare tech startup? Um, yeah. So I, I was actually looking to get into the startup slash innovation space. Uh, at the time, I was a clinical informatics coordinator with Penn Medicine at Home, which is um, the sort of umbrella. It's one. It, it, there's an umbrella organization or agency that contains several other smaller um, units, uh, both home care and hospice at the University of Pennsylvania Health System. Um, so at that time, I was transitioning that organization uh, to EPIC, which is an EHR, EPIC Electronic Health Record. Um, and through that work, I sort of, uh, again, became um, knowledgeable around the, the, this area, this new area of nursing, how you could take nursing and really use it with a tech or innovation sort of bent to it. And so that is what led me to, to this other work with the Penn Center for Innovation and eventually Envoy. 
We're hope you're enjoying this episode, and we'll be back with more in a few minutes after this quick break. Hi, this is Dr. Nurse Dan, host of the Handoff Podcast. I'm an author, provocateur, and head of clinical innovation at Trusted Health. Each week, I speak with guests from every corner of the nursing industry, from the bedside to academia to policy, nonprofit, and more, all with one simple goal, to uncover the insights that will help nurses and nurse leaders do their jobs better, whether it's at the bedside, managing a unit, or an entire health system. The handoff is in its second season, and in recent episodes, we've covered everything from addressing bullying and incivility in nursing to building units that are safe for nurses of color to the impact that COVID-19 has had on simulation. It has never been a more exciting or a more challenging time to be a nurse, and I hope you'll join us to listen to these important conversations. You can find us at trustedhealth.com backslash the-handoff-podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Was that something you were thinking about as you were thinking about your second career in nursing? Because I get asked all the time and I get comments all the time from both nursing students and clinicians that they had no idea they could do anything other than bedside nursing with a nursing degree. And so part of the point of this podcast is to really amplify what else nurses are doing out in the world. And so I find it really fascinating that, you know, this is where you've ended up. I think that's a very pertinent question. And the answer is no, I had no idea when I, so when I signed up for that 10 month accelerated intense nursing course to get my initial RN license, the thing I was going for was bedside nursing. And that was, that's all that was presented to me. I mean, of course, you know, my instructor said, oh, well, you can go on, you can get a master's, you can get a PhD, you can be a DNP. But it was always, you know, the highest level of practice is, you know, nurse practitioner, that's what you should be aiming for, patient care, you know, all the way. It, there, there was nothing really around research or technology or innovation. And I, at this point, I really want to read, like, uh, quote, um, one of my favorite quotes. It's by Marion Wright Edelman, who is a child advocate and, you know, she said, you can't be what you can't see. And in that context, she was talking about children and, and really representation um, around careers and what you eventually aspire to be. But I feel like that quote really holds true uh, regardless of age or background. Like, you can't be what you can't see. And I certainly know that, like I said, when I went into nursing, bedside care was what I was in it for. It wasn't only, it, it was, wasn't until later that I actually literally stumbled into this other area of nursing. So let's then, let's pivot a little because you're involved with a number of great organizations and groups. Um, one of which is M the MIT Hacking and you guys just had MIT Hacking Racism. I'd love to hear about um, that experience, both with the MIT hacks and the specifically the MIT hacking racism, and maybe for those who might not know what a hackathon is, if you could explain that as as well. Sure, um, I would love to do that. So, the organization there's a, there's sort of a parent organization at MIT. It's MIT Hacking Medicine. Um, this is a perennial, ongoing organization that's led by um, a, a number of MIT innovation ecosystem players. So it's not just students, it's professionals, um, it's uh, you know, doctors and, and tenured professors and, and other individuals from, again, across the ecosystem. 
And they usually have um, sort of a, a yearly event, MIT Grand Hack, which they, they were, they did actually um, put on just recently. And the reason they were able to is because when COVID sort of hit, things, of course, went under, like, like they, they stopped all activities. You couldn't you know, gather in groups and whatnot. And traditionally, a hackathon is a, sort of a time-limited design sprint where people come together from all different backgrounds. We're not talking about just coders or just engineers or just any one group. The idea is to bring together um, a wide variety of disciplines so that we can come at a common problem from different angles. The, the thought is that um, it's sort of like hybrid vigor. The, 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 the more diverse your pool of thought, the better your um, solution will be. So hackathons are these time-limited design sprints where you start out with a problem and over the course of maybe 48 hours, some are a little shorter, some are a little longer, you come up with a, pro uh, a problem pitch and then a solution to that problem. Um, the MIT events are a little different, um, particularly the ones that I've been involved with because of COVID. So COVID came along, stopped all in-person events, and there is still clearly a need, um, particularly around COVID-19. Um, so as the, as the pandemic progressed, this group sort of had a spin-off group called the MIT COVID-19 Challenge, um, sourced many of the same players from this ecosystem and stood up virtual events. So these are massively online virtual hackathons um, that have typically attracted uh, somewhere between 11 and 1500 um, participants. And that's, that's just participants. The applicants, uh, we usually get between two and 3000 applicants, right? So we've leveraged technology, all the same tools that we're currently using um, to remotely meet and work, you know, during co times of COVID. We've taken those tools, we've repurposed them for a hackathon sort of framework. And, you know, at first it was, let's do this thing and see how it goes. And then it just became more and more successful as each time um, true to an innovative spirit, we would take away best practices and lessons learned, um, iterate on our model and our tools. And since the initial uh, event, which was Beat the Pandemic in April, we've had Beat the Pandemic 1, there was a Datathon, Africa, so we did an event in Africa, Latin America, Beat the Pandemic 2, um, we did one in India, and I believe there was another one with an associate group through, through Lebanon. So that is seven uh, MIT COVID-19 related hackathons. And there's another one coming up. <laughs> um, and the fantastic thing is that, again, each has morphed into slightly different topics and problem tracks as the pandemic itself has changed. And then the most recent one was the one on racism. Can you talk a little bit about that and what solutions came out of that? Sure. So um, the same, again, the same group of players from this innovation ecosystem, as we were putting together and putting on these COVID-related hackathons, you know, of course, the national and international um, conversation really shifted towards racial justice um, and, and issues of equity. And we said, well, why, are, why aren't we 
why aren't we addressing this, right? We have a framework to come up with, um, you know, the solutions that could be potentially game, potentially game changing. Um, and we approached several other uh, stakeholders in particular, um, Angel Rich through Black Tech Matters, who then connected us with other sources. We made a real focus um, around connecting with HBCUs and other players who had been in this space for a longer period of time. We certainly didn't want to come in and say, hey, we're the new kids on the block, but we know everything and we're going to sort this thing out. Like that was not at all our, our intention. Um, and so we were very purposeful um, and intentional and intentional around who we invited to the table, the kinds of conversations we had, and the way that we structured our event. We, we changed sort of our approach from COVID to the Hacking Racism Hackathon. You mentioned some of the topics and um, some of the solutions. You know, we, we ran the gamut as far as, you know, public health, population health, individual, financial and education, uh, well-being, uh, intersectionality, really with the idea that, you know, we don't just have black people. We don't have, you know, it, it's like you, you have multiple identities. Are you, um, you know, a, a woman? Are you LGBTQ? Um, like, what are, are you, are you differently abled? Like, what are the all, all of the areas that um, people's identities intersect? And how does race affect all of that when you throw it, throw it in there? So, again, the teams um, came up with many different ideas in various areas um, from, I know that in the intersectionality track, for instance, there was a group of high schoolers um, who, fantastic shout out to them, they were, part, they were one of the winners. They came up with the idea of um, developing a program where youth would be used to put together, to, to package and present trainings to residents and other medical professionals around diversity and, and um, issues of intersectionality so that you could come at it from an intergenerational perspective, not just intersectional, but intergenerational um, and, and really prepare the next generation of medical professionals uh, and nursing professionals from a different perspective, something other than what they would usually get. And are you seeing many nurses participating in these hackathons? Yeah, so I've made a concerted effort <laughs> um, as I've been involved in the organization of these events to really bring in nurses at all levels. So uh, whether that is at the judge, the mentor, or the participant level, I've really made an effort to bring in um, all of these fantastic nursing, uh, nursing colleagues into the various areas? And the answer is yes. Um, it, however, the caveat to that is, I, again, I'm gonna go back to this Marion Wright Edelman quote, you can't be what you can't see. And so it's a matter of publicizing and marketing and getting the word out and, and letting nurses know you belong at this table, you are part of this conversation and we need you, you know? Um, so again, the, the marketing and the, the upfront work is what's going to get us there. It's, it's just a matter of um, creating this critical mass of, of people who in nursing who know the value, know and value nurses for more than just clinical care, right? 
And how do you think we do that? How do you think we get the word out to nursing clinicians who are at the bedside, who are, who are out in the community, who are seeing all these problems, but may not have any idea what a hackathon is or may not even realize they belong at hackathons? I mean, I am sure I, you hear this too. Every time I do a hackathon and I walk around and I talk to participants, these nurses come up to me and say, I finally found my people. Like, I have all these ideas. I have all these things I want to create. I've never known how to go about doing that. And these hackathons, these innovation communities allow me to do this. And I feel like once we can get them there, they're, they're there for, for life. But it's getting clinicians there and making them aware that these things are occurring and that they belong there, that I feel like it's, it's an uphill battle sometimes. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, you know, as, as you point out, once you get them there, you know, people tend to stay, they're enthusiastic, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe this existed this entire time and I didn't know about it sort of thing. Um, how do we get people to recognize that they, they should be at the table? I think that is a combination um, of things. One, we can start way upstream we're talking literally about children, right? Um, you, know, you know, and we talk about what do you want to be when you grow up? And somebody says, oh, a police officer, a firefighter, a nurse, or whatever. You know, the images that we provide people, and this, is, uh, this has been hashed over time and time again um, in other forums by other people who are much more well-versed in this than I. But, you know, the images that we portray to children of nurses that's that's not all we should be portraying to children. So that's the first place we can start. The second place is with nurses themselves, right? Um, healthcare workers, you know, do you see yourself, envision yourself here? Well, what is a hackathon? You know, you asked me, what is a hackathon? And to sort of break that down. And I think once people hear that and they understand what's behind that word, then they can maybe envision themselves. They can picture themselves in that setting. Um, but it is a little bit of uh, a little bit of work to break down the vocabulary that we use in innovation for non-native speakers, if that is, if that makes any sense, right? Like any other industry, we have this jargon that we use, and um, we really need to do a better job of translating that into other areas. And I think you just hit the nail on the head, and I want to come full circle now because I said I'd get back to the qualitative research slash human-centered design topic because I think nursing innovation or nursing and innovation are so very similar, but we use jargon and innovation that's different than what we use in nursing. And so clinical nurses, nurses who are not in the innovation space don't see the, themselves in it because it seems so different. That's, you know, I, I completely agree. Um, I, know, I know I've seen some other materials from yourself and the School of Nursing at Penn um, that have, have compared, you know, design thinking, the design thinking process with the nursing process, and they are very closely aligned. So I, I have to give a shout out to you and the School of Nursing for putting some of that material out there and really trying to push this, uh, this conversation forward. Um, because it's something that I've also uh, sort of realized, again, you know, I started talking about the, the qualitative methods course that I went through and all of my MPH training uh, and the way that I really approached my 
projects. So, you know, in order to finish out your MPH program, you have to do a capstone um, project. Mine centered around, I, I literally went to Mozambique, spent a summer there and um, did this, did an innovation project before I was ever into, into any of the hackathons or design thinking, or I, I essentially applied all of the principles of design thinking and iteration and, and um, sort of an innovation mindset to this project in a public health context. And it only, it wasn't until after the summer and when I was writing up my project and my capstone and packaging it for APHA and, and whatnot, that I started to connect the dots and realize there's a larger framework completely outside of the academic world and completely outside of public health that this fit really well into um, or fit into really well. And, you know, similar to nursing and, 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 you know, tying all of those skills in together. Um, it's a matter of, as you put it, translating what we currently know and what we're familiar with into something that's slightly different, but is not completely off the mark, right? You should be able, nurses are very creative and, you know, I live in metaphors and analogies. My life has lived through, <laughs> has lived through these things. Um, and, and I feel like that is a key skill that many nurses have because you're always in this, all right, so the patient said this, but what do they really mean? Let me translate that. Does it mean this? And then you probe and then you go back and you ask the same question in slightly different way to see if you get a different answer. Um, that's all, again, this iterative um, process that we're going through. Uh, and, and when we treat patients, it's sort of like a real life, like immediate feedback, um, version of the innovation process that they don't even realize they're going through. Totally. Couldn't agree more. So what do you think if nurses wanted to get involved in innovation, what are some good places to start either organizations, societies, events? Yeah. Um, so as far as places to start go, I would highly suggest getting on LinkedIn, getting active, um, you know, if, if Twitter is your favorite platform, you know, your social media platform, great. You can go there. There are plenty of public health and nursing and nursing um, influencers there that, again, have strong crossover with the innovation world. Um, don't limit yourself to just something that says nursing innovation. Again, the idea is to find the commonality in, in many other areas. Um, as far as organizations go, you know, I, I think we we both know about Sanciel, um, which is, I definitely have to give a shout out to Sanciel um, because that also is an organization that I have sort of found through this work uh, and, and really have identified with other nurses um, in, the same, in, the, in the same place. Uh, there's Sanciel, there's the Society for Healthcare Innovation, also sort of out of the University of Pennsylvania and associated with that. Aging 2.0. Um, so Aging 2.0 isn't specifically around nurses and innovation, but again, going with the idea that you will find those with, you know, with whom you have something in common, you start to look for these innovation networks, right? And Aging 2.0 is an innovation network that really centers around healthy aging 
um, you know, as a, as a whole, as it from an ecosystem perspective. And it's not just for old people, <laughs> you know, it is for all ages. This is an intergenerational organization that is really looking to um, address problems from various, uh, various lenses. And then hackathons. If you Google hackathon and or virtual hackathon, since we're in times of COVID, um, I can guarantee you, you will find an event that will fit your liking and interests. Um, if you are more on the technical side, you will, you will find something for yourself. If you are more on the clinical side, you are also there. In fact, you will probably be a rock star if you find a hackathon and join under, under the auspices of clinician, because there are not very many of them um, I, you know, and again, as I said, I've, I've tried really hard to increase those numbers, but it's going to take more than a few people. Um, it takes it, it takes all of us, really. Yeah, that's a great point and something I think that needs to be said more and more, though I am actively involved with nurse hackathons. So we always have a lot of nurses, <laughs> generally regular hackathons, especially those focusing on health and healthcare, are just really uh, clamoring for more clinicians, nurse clinicians to be involved, to get those expertise. And you're right, you will be considered a rock star. Um, I hear it from my engineering and design colleagues all the time. They have these ideas, they have these solutions, but they don't have the clinical knowledge and expertise to be able to put them into practice. And so they are always looking for nurses to partner who have these interests as well. So I think that's a really important point to reiterate. Well, Josh, this was a really great conversation. I really appreciate you talking with me today about your path to nursing, your interest in technology and innovation, and all of the cool things that you're involved in. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. And um, I'm always out here. If anybody wants to reach out, find me on LinkedIn. Like I said, that is a great place to start um, your innovation journey certainly reach out. I'm happy to connect. Just um, mention uh, Amplify Nursing and we'll take it from there. Hello, Marion. Hello, Angela. How's it going? It's amazing. How are you? I'm great. So you just had a fantastic conversation with Joshua Littlejohn. I did. It was like I was talking to myself. It's so weird. It's like <laughs> that Spider-Man pointing at you, pointing at me. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, I loved, you know, being able to talk to somebody who sees similarly the potential for nurses as innovators and is as encouraging as I am, hopefully, in getting nurses involved in hackathons as well. Yeah, it's always nice to find a, a kindred spirit. You know what I really liked? I found I always enjoy when I see nurses who have this really, really diverse and rich experience that move into places where they're making decisions and doing really, really neat things. Yeah, for sure. His background is fascinating, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, molecular biology and Spanish and then um, going into nursing separately from that. It, yeah, it was just really interesting to hear his story and see the work that he was doing, starting out as a bedside nurse and then moving into home care and then getting involved in technology and healthcare startups. Really, it just shows the potential for having 
nursing as a second degree and how you can bring different experiences and backgrounds into this profession. Yeah. And I think that the skills that you learn as a bedside nurse are wholly underestimated in in other fields and even within nursing. I totally agree. And though, you know, I always like to promote nurses as doing other things um, outside of bedside nursing, clinical bedside nursing is the foundation for what this profession does. And it is because of the experiences we have at the bedside and clinically that we are able to do all of these other things. Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa Donato and Marion Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing, with special thanks to our Department of Information Technology Services for their assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time. Keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing podcast and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And if you can do us a solid, please rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.